So let's imagine for a minute you knew someone who knew everything. Like, not the guy that, like, thinks he knows everything. Like, you knew something, someone that knew everything, knew what you were dealing with, knew how you needed to respond, knew what the answer was to every single question, knew how to guide you to the outcome that you needed to be at. So if you knew a person like that, how often would you go to them for guidance? I would hope all the time. Obviously, the answer would be all the time, or you're not the sharpest light bulb on the Christmas tree this year, right? So I want to suggest to you that we do have access to an all-knowing being, and we call him God. Which really brings us to the first attribute that we have of God, and that is God is omniscient. Meaning this. Okay. We were having a ton of te technical difficulties this morning. So God is omniscient, which means that God is all-knowing, means God's knowledge knows no end. Listen to what 1 John 3 says. 1 John 3, 19 through 20. I'm not getting anything. I guess you're going to have to. There you go. Okay, 1 John 3, 19 through 20 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For, whoever our, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So basically, we have to ask ourselves this question. What's included in everything? Everything, okay? That's an easy answer, right? Everything is included. God knows everything. In Job 37, Job's friend Elihu talks with Job. And uh, basically, he challenges Job how we as humans, in our knowledge, can't fully grasp everything that God knows. So we're going to go to that next uh, verse. In Job 37, verse 16, it says, Do you, this is Elihu talking to Job, do you know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? So Job's friend is saying, hey, listen, as people, we can't fully comprehend the fact that God has perfect knowledge. We can say it, we can believe it, but fully comprehending it, it's difficult or nearly impossible. And this is why some doubt this attribute. Because when we hear about this being that knows everything, we think, how in the, I, I, I can't fully grasp this. Which brings us to the next verse, and that's 1 Corinthians 1, 25. It says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. So here's what Paul does in this instance. What Paul's doing here is he's saying, if there were anything foolish in God, it would be wiser than the wisest person you know. You get that? If there were anything foolish in God, it would be wiser than the wisdom of men. This is because God is omniscient, all-knowing. There's nothing that he is unaware of. There's nothing that he's surprised by. There's nothing that he doesn't know. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. And, and I want to take a look at how this omniscience impacts us on a personal level. So now Psalm 139 is David wrote this psalm and we're going to look at a, a, a we're going to look at this psalm a lot in this only God series because basically what David does in this psalm is he basically is going through many of the attributes that only God has and he applies them to himself personally. The way that he deals with God in his relationship with God, how it impacts his relationship God with God, knowing these things that only God has, the attributes that only God has. So the first thing we're going to learn in Psalm 139, 
One is about God's omniscience and how it applies to us. So God knows our hearts. The first thing that we learn is God knows our hearts. He says this, Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. So basically what David is saying here is when God is searching him, it means God knows his heart. Now there's a lot of talk about our hearts, right? There's a lot of talk about our hearts. People will say this, you should follow your heart. Have you ever heard this saying before? You should follow your heart or you should listen to your heart. I think there's like a song about that, right? Listen to your heart. That's like an 80s song, right? So here, here's the thing. God knows our hearts and he knows that we all have heart issues. The heart issues we have are actually due to our sin. Do you realize that? So we all have heart issues. The heart issues that we have are due to our sin. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who could understand it? So this passage now teaches us that because our hearts are sick with sin, it makes it difficult for us to actually follow our heart. So when somebody says, follow your heart, listen to your heart, what the scary thing is, is basically, if we're listening to our heart and our heart is sick, is it going to lead us the right place? See, the Proverbs actually tell us the heart is the center of our being. It's the place where our hopes and our dreams and our desires come from. So if we can't trust following our heart or listening to our heart, what do we do? Well, the good news is because God is all-knowing, he helps us. And this passage in Jeremiah goes on. If you click to the next slide, it says this. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. So now when David, he's praying in Psalm 139, he's saying, God, search me, search me. God can search our hearts because he knows our hearts and he knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows that we have sinful and selfish desires, and he knows our motivations, he knows our intentions, and nothing is hidden from it because he's omniscient, right? Because he's all-knowing. So when God searches our hearts, he just doesn't say, yup, it's sick, or yeah, I knew you were messed up. Okay, he doesn't say that. What he does is he searches our hearts, and he exposes to us what needs to change and what's going wrong. So this normally comes in feelings of guilt, remorse, shame. You ever have those feelings, right? You ever have those feelings? Guilt, you feel guilty for doing something. Remorse, you feel regret for not doing something. Shame, you feel ashamed of yourself because of maybe the things that you have done. And you know what happens? Those things actually alert us of the greater problem, right? It's just like pain. If you have a headache this morning, if you get up, you have a headache, you're like, oh, why do I have a headache? Don't Google it. If you Google it, you'll get 500 reasons why you have a headache, right? So, but what you do is you, you, you say, oh, man, I have a headache. So you're like, I'm going to drink some extra water. Maybe I'm dehydrated. And then I'm going to go for the Tylenol. Hopefully that will work. But if you get up every morning for the next month and you have a headache, what are you going to do? I hope go to the doctor, right? I've had a headache for a month. I need to go to the doctor. I need to figure out what the problem is. Well, it's the same thing with our heart. When we have these feelings of guilt, remorse, shame, we, we start to think, like, what do I do? So here's what happens. When we don't go to God, here's what happens. We start to justify those feelings. Like, maybe I shouldn't feel bad about that. Maybe, maybe, I, you know, maybe that's just, you know, 
like those like good moral people they're trying to keep me down and make me feel bad about the things that I'm doing and maybe I should maybe we should redefine what's right or wrong <laughs> is that our culture now right Rede redefining what's right or wrong so you know people try to justify it then they start to see that doesn't really work cuz I still kind of feel like these these feelings so the next is people try to numb those feelings right they try to numb those feelings. I feel bad, so I'm going to drown my sorrows. Or I feel bad, so I'm going to take this pain medication for my mental pain, maybe. This way, I don't have to deal with what I'm feeling. I could kind of escape. Because everybody's been telling me all my life, listen to your heart, follow your heart. But, you know, something's wrong here. I, I don't feel right. Or if the numbing doesn't work, which it doesn't, they start to let these feelings crush them. We have those feelings, they're real, we can't seem to find comfort, numbing only works for a little while, justifying starts to make less and less sense. So essentially, those feelings start to crush us and start to break us. And finally, we admit and we realize deep down we're broken and we need to be fixed. Just like Jeremiah said, we're broken and need to be fixed. So God is the one that can fix us and he, he made us, and he realizes as he searches our heart, he exposes our sin, which really becomes the first step of the gospel, right? Because, you know, when you hear me preach the gospel, or you hear other people preach the gospel, or you read the scriptures, you find out the first step of the gospel is admitting that I'm a sinner. Admitting that I'm broken. Admitting that I need a Savior. This is a tough step, right? I've talked about this before. A lot of people, pride stands in the way of that step. Pride stands in the way, and basically they don't want to admit, okay, I am broken. That's what David's doing when he's saying in Psalm 139, search my heart. He's basically saying, like, God, I'm broken. I need to be fixed. Well, the good news is, is, is Jesus is willing to fix us. Jesus is willing to deal with us. When he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, when he rose from the grave to prove that he is God, the scriptures tell us this, all who believe will have eternal life. Or in other words, for us, all who believe, our hearts will be fixed, will be made whole. Our heart of stone will be made soft and made a heart of flesh. Our cold heart will be melted. See, God can fix our broken heart because he searches us. Now, Jeremiah tells us, he says he also tests the mind, which is really our next point. God knows our thoughts. He says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You know when you lay down at night and your head hits the pillow and you think you're alone with your thoughts? You're not. You're actually not alone with your thoughts. God is with you. That's why one thing I've learned over the years is I try not to look at my thinking as thinking. I turn my thinking into praying. Now, this is important because it reminds me that I'm not alone with my thoughts. It's not like God's looking over my shoulder. God is there with me in my thoughts. So now I've turned my thought life into a prayer life. So when I start to think about things, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be in conversation with the Lord. You got to be really careful about this, though, because if you start to like think out loud... Okay, talk out loud. People might think you're a little crazy, right? My, my second grade teacher, I remember her well because I had her twice, okay? That, that was before the no child left behind. It was the child who fails is left behind. That was me, okay? So 
my second grade teacher used to always say, if you talk to yourself, you're crazy. Like, literally, this is the type of woman I had to deal with, okay? And um, so one day I had to stay after for detention, because I was doing second grade more than once, and she's writing on the board, talking to herself. I was like, that makes sense. And, <laughs> but seriously, though, because God knows our thoughts, why not turn those thoughts into prayer? Why not turn those, so when you're laying in bed and you're thinking about all the things you have to do, you can't sleep. I mean, some of you realize this as you get older, you know, you wake up and then you start thinking of your day, think of all, turn those things into prayers, turn those worries, those fears, all those things into prayers. It'll be very helpful for your prayer life, but not only that, it'll be helpful if your thoughts are plotting out sin. Because if your thoughts are plotting out sin, you're kind of like, well, God, are you with me on? No, I guess you're not with me on this one. I'm not going to go down that path that I want to go down, that I'm tempted to go down. But God is saying, no, don't go down those paths. Which brings us to the next thing we learn from this psalm, Psalm 139, verse 3, is God knows our tendencies. He says, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Now, this is important when it comes to our walk with the Lord. <clears throat> this is important when it comes to our walk with the Lord, how we live and how we behave each day. He knows where we're weak. He knows the areas of temptation in our life, and he knows our tendencies to sin. Each of us have different things. You might struggle with certain things that other people don't struggle with. We all have certain tendencies and temptations in life. He knows where you're going. He knows what you plan on doing there. He knows what you're going to say even before you say it. So what we need to do is we need to get in the practice of asking ourselves these questions. Would I bring Jesus here? Would I bring Jesus here? Would I do this in front of Jesus? Would I say this in front of Jesus, or would I say this to Jesus? These are very sobering questions that you can ask yourself. Would I be doing, saying, going, would I be doing this? Remember that old children's Sunday school song? Some of you might remember this. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Remember that? Be careful, little ears, what you hear. I'm not going to sing the whole thing, but here's the thing. Then it tells you the why, which is the great part of this song says, be careful of all these things. And then it says, there is a father up above looking down in love. You know what that song teaches? Omniscience of God. He's all knowing. He's there. He knows what you're seeing, what you're saying, what you're doing, what you're hearing, where you're going. He knows all these things. It's so important because guess what? When you start living your life like that, don't you think that you're going to follow after God in a deeper way, knowing that he's right there with you and knows everything? Okay, so God knowing everything about me, really, then I have to, then I have to ask myself this. What do I do now? What do I do now? Well, the truth is, we need to let him guide us. We need to let him guide us. Which really brings us to our final point, that is, God knows how to guide us. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. In Psalm 139.5, this is what David is basically saying, like, God, I need guidance. Hey, you know all these things. 
You know what I'm thinking. You know where I'm going. You know what my plans are. Like this is, God knows the depths of you. So now you have to say, well, if he knows all these things, then I have to ask him to guide me in all these things. So maybe you have relationship issues. I talk a lot about relationships because that's what people deal with, right? And, you know, you have relationship issues. And the holidays kind of underline that, right? You know, when you start to, okay, where are we going? What are we doing? Who do we spend time with? All this stuff. Who are we inviting? Who are we not inviting? All this stuff. And, you know what? If you go to guidance to the guy or gal at work that's like, yeah, so I'm struggling. Like, you know, these people said this last year at Thanksgiving or, the, or you know, whatever it is. And they say, what do you think I should do? They're going to be like, forget them. You don't need them. You don't need them, right? They're going to give you bad relational advice because they're not looking for guidance from God. But when we look for guidance from God in our relationships, I know that, you know, God tells us to strive for peace. God tells us to be compassionate. God tells us to be merciful, forgiving, loving, all those different things. So when you're thinking, what should I do? Know that God is right there saying, I'm telling you, I'll guide you. But like David did, he says, you know what? Your hand, lay your hand on me. Guide me in this. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe you're struggling financially and you're, you need guidance. Okay, You need guidance. You know, a lot of people, like around the holidays, this underlines like, oh man, everything's so expensive. I have no money, like this and that. People have financial issues, you know? And maybe God is guiding you and saying, spend less, okay? You know, the, the bill collectors only come when you continue to spend. Okay? Maybe this Christmas God is saying, hey, listen, you know what? Why don't you focus on what the real meaning of this season is rather than putting yourself in debt over these things? Maybe you're struggling with a specific sin. You don't know what to do. Now those feelings of guilt and shame and remorse, you're, 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 you're clueless on how to deal with this. Well, you're asking the omniscient God who knows how you should deal with it, what you should be doing, how you should be responding to this situation, what you're struggling with. Maybe it's a specific sin and God's saying, here's the path to righteousness. Here's how you should respond, but you just keep on going with maybe your heart, what your desire wants to do rather than what God desires you to do. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe you're struggling with a health issue. And uh, it's discouraging you and depressing you because you used to be healthy, but now you're not anymore. And God knows those feelings. He knows how to comfort you. Maybe that health issue isn't going to change, but maybe God is saying this is what you need to learn through that health issue. Maybe it's simply something that just can't change. Your heart's just broken over. I mean, if you've lost a loved one, you know that feeling, right? Nothing's changing, so to speak. That person's not coming back, but God knows how I feel. Do you realize God the Father even knows that feeling of loss when he sacrificed his son, when he allowed Jesus to be sacrificed for us? See, the truth is, like David's saying, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Oh, that's, uh, I want to go back a verse. He says, you hem me in behind and before me and lay your hand upon me. He's saying, God, like, no matter what my path is, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm struggling with, your hand, I'm asking your hand to be upon me. 
And we know this to be true. We know that God, being an all-knowing God, would never leave us out to dry. He knows exactly what we need. So whatever area it is, you need to remember that God, in his infinite knowledge, has all the wisdom to guide us. So how do we tap into that? Well, we tap into it through prayer, through his word. Of course, we've talked about this so many times. But there's something that comes before that, and it really is believing that he is omniscient, that he is all-knowing, that he does. Because here's the thing. Here's what happens. And David, we'll go to the next verse. And David is basically saying, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Basically, what David's saying is, David's saying, this, like, infinite knowledge, this all-knowing, this omniscient God, it, this blows my mind. I mean, think about it. When you're conversing about the Lord with somebody and you say, God knows everything, what's their response? Like, come on, everything? Like, he knows everything. There's nothing hidden from him. This is something that we can only attribute to God because no one else knows that. No other being knows everything. So basically, David's response is better than the, come on, God knows everything. It's, this is too wonderful. It's high. I cannot attain it. Basically, the definition of wonderful is inspiring delight and admiration. Like when, when we sit in these attributes for these next five weeks, what you're going to find is it's just inspiring. I mean, knowing all this stuff is helpful for my relationship with God, my relationship with others. But this just, it, it, it makes me realize God is so unimaginable in a sense. It's, he's almost unattainable. But the truth is, he's come to us to, to be with us to live with us, and to say, I'm there. When you put your head on that pillow and you think you're alone, I'm there. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're doing. I know your next steps. I know everything about you. That should inspire us like it did for David, and it inspires admiration. So we're going to find this in all these attributes that only God has. We can take delight in them. We can admire God be because of them, and we can aspire to those. That's like, these are one of the, this, these are things that are, we're going to be like, okay, normally God wants us to use him as an example. We'll never get here, but we can rest in those attributes that only God has. 